Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast. This time, the latest from Ukraine with Zarina Zabriskie, who'll be telling us about Russia's scorched earth policy and the routine targeting of civilians. Zarina, who you can read in Byline Times and the Euro Maiden News, is normally based in Odessa, but she's been on a fact-finding mission to Bukha, the site of a notorious massacre, plus Erpin and Hostmel. First, though, a quick reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscribers to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Matharu. We are not bankrolled by oligarchs or non-doms. We can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and the powerful to account, which is needed now more than ever. Our funding comes from ordinary subscribers. So do subscribe if you can to the Byline Times. You get more details at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. Well, Zarina Zabriskie, welcome back. It's a couple of weeks since we last spoke, and you've been on a, a pretty harrowing journey ever since. Just tell me where you've been and what you've seen. Adrian, I feel like I've been to hell um, with the the deputy mayor of Bucha for my Virgil, you know, I, I, I know it might sound like quite a literary reference, but that's not what I mean. It actually, the only relevant word I can think of when I look back, um, that is to say, uh, this, um, this place, the, the suburbs of Kiev are recovering now actively. So I want to put it in right away because one of the strongest messages I got from this trip is um, that people in the Kiev suburbs that were hit by the Russian um, uh, invasion, by the atrocities, do not want to live in a place of tragedy I am taught they want to live in a beautiful, green, thriving place, uh, which it certainly was before the 24th of February. Um, To be more geographical about it, I went to several little towns that are all located close to each other. Just to give you an idea, um, it's about 10 minutes ride from the outskirts of Kiev. So I arrived by train, which was a wonderful, wonderful train, the most comfortable one I've ever been on, the night train from Odessa to Kiev. It takes one night, it's air-conditioned, it's beautiful. So you arrive to the railway station, to Kiev and take metro, which is beautiful here, so efficient and fast and clean, and also, of course, serves as a bomb shelter right now at this time. Um, so I took it all the way to a place called Akademistichko, from which uh, I did use the little buses that circulated and would take me on a long journey to to legendary Bucha. Well, lo and behold, I was there in 10 minutes. It's right by Kiev. So Russians were that close. And that was my number one shock. 
and of course, you know, the, the whole arrival was quite dramatic because uh, I come out of the metro and air raid starts and I had the work meeting, staff meeting for Euromaidan. So I was sitting outside with all the military people walking around with air raid going on and with my phone uh, speaking to my colleagues. Um, and as I arrived to Hostomel, because I first arrived to Hostomel, I feel this uh, smell of burnt, I don't know, everything. We spoke about that before, if you you might remember that from uh, my um, covering of the bomb sites in Odessa and Mykolaiv. There's this uh, very distinct smell, stench, I would say. And here it's already, you know, somewhat diluted because it's been several months, but you still feel it so strong. And then you see the ruins all around you. There, there's a bus stop called the mini market and uh, city market, I'm sorry. And the city market used to be quite uh, modern architecture, something it's like this triangle sheep-like uh, shape. Uh, and it is all burnt and charred and black. And the only signs that are remaining are the pet store sign, quite fancy one, and the grill and barbecue place. And it indeed, it smells like something grilled and burned, but not barbecue. And there's the shattered glass is everywhere, and the bus stop is right by a ruined private house with a Ukrainian flag on it. And then from there, you walk into this surreal realm of like destroyed destroyed city destroyed residential town and i've been to many as you know we talked about that here on the byline time radio uh, in sites in Mykolaiv, in odessa but nothing of that scale that i have seen so far and um hostomel was ruin their blocks uh, that are just burned down and there's just rubble. And you see um, children's bicycle like a, with three wheels standing there completely burned. The cars with the uh, burned and melted metal. Uh, and it, it, it's, it, it is scorched earth, literally. Everything is scorched. And what makes it even more dramatic is that that used to be, and still is in parts, the parts that have survived, um, upper middle class area. It's, you know, what, as they used to call it in uh, California, yuppies, right? Yeah. <laughs> young professional families, um, IT workers and uh, managers of, of businesses, PR experts, very modern. And the level of, um, they have a very high standard level of um, living. Um, and I stayed with my teacher of Ukrainian. I, I now study Ukrainian. And she's a lovely young lady. Uh, and her husband, they had to flee the uh, Netsk in 2014 and leave their apartment that they just bought. And so they they had to start from from nothing again. And they saved enough to buy this amazing house, very comfortable, very beautiful. 
And then they had to flee again in the last week of February because they already knew what Russians are like. So they just overnight, they fled and stayed in the other um, region of Ukraine. And when they came back, their house, just as other houses all around, were um, damaged. Uh, the windows were shot through. I saw these holes in the curtains. And we're talking about the place that looks like um, maybe like Ikea showroom, uh, uh, only slightly better because the furniture is better. It's so well done with so much love. And the, the kitchen is so well equipped, all the modern things that I haven't seen myself, you know, like some appliances. I'm not much of a kitchen person, so of course I don't know, but I mean, it's a very modern um, well, high-tech place, which is in places shot with the bullets. And um, of course everybody's restoring like there is no tomorrow. And so that's where I stayed and I interviewed my host, so there will be a story forthcoming in one of the publications I write for. Uh, and uh, from there, I went to Bucha. And in Bucha, I had an appointment with a Bucha deputy mayor. And her name was Mikhailina, and she was supposed to see me at three. And I arrived to Bucha, and of course, there are more ruined places. Uh, and it, it's, it's just very jarring to find these beautiful high rises, but all very new. Um, they look like, uh, it's not my phrase, somebody told me that, but they look like a, a monster, like a Godzilla was gnawing on the top of the buildings. That's how it looks. And Bucha's arena is the site of a horrendous massacre, bodies of more than 1,300 people have been recovered so far, I understand, following the withdrawal or the retreat of Russian for forces from the city. So uh, in a in a conflict of, of many tragedies, of sadly, we fear, more than one massacre. This was perhaps the most notorious early massacre in this war. Uh, yes, uh, actually, that was for the area. According to the deputy uh, mayor of Bucha, there were 462 bodies recovered in Bucha, in particular in this one spot where um, one of the spots where she took me. So uh, I actually waited for her for three hours because she's just that busy. But I was very patient and I was rewarded because Afterwards, after everything was closed, after the end of the day, she drove me all around Buche in Irpin for a private tour and showed me every single place that you perhaps saw on mass media, um, you know, these photographs where the tanks, the Rus destroyed Russian tanks uh, were uh, cluttered in the street and where the bodies were lying down and the uh, churchyard where there were two trenches and the mass graves. And uh, we stopped and she showed me everything. And I actually rec video recorded all this. So um, I, if somebody is interested um there will be your private tour of Bucha in Erpen by the deputy mayor uh, soon on Euromaidan uh, YouTube channel. And there is already my interview with her 
one of a few on the buy wire news. Uh, and there there might be a piece coming out on byline time television as well, because she taught me so much, Adrian. Um, and um, she is a remarkable person herself. She's a journalist, uh, a former journalist, I have to say, uh, who became a politician after her husband was killed in 2014 by a sniper's bullets while liberating a Levisk uh, in Donbass area. So Russians killed him in the beginning of this war. And uh, this person is extremely strong. She's uh, raising her child, uh, and um, we we picked up her son from a child care on the way. And he seems to be quite a strong kid as well. Um, and uh, the, the the child care was across the street from a burned down building, and pretty much everything there. Not everything there, but every other building is ruined somewhat. And there are bullet holes in the fences. Um, and uh, um, I, I uh, put together a few little short videos that you can find on my wall or your Maidan press, like one minute, two minutes, just to get the idea of how it looks. This was the most horrendous incident and across... The whole city, as I say, more than 1,300 people were believed to have been murdered. I mean, these are people who were killed in cold blood, including 31 children, civilians with their hands tied behind their backs and then shot dead. In some cases, children were raped, bodies mutilated and so on. Is there any sense now, and I know you're keen to emphasise that the resilience of the Ukrainian people. Is this city able to come back to life? Is it functioning as a city? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I mentioned in the very beginning, they don't want to live in the place of tragedy. And if you want the most typical um, site of Ukraine these days during the war, you that would be some demolished building or maybe even the black smoke coming from explosion in south of Ukraine that I've seen. And a couple of women standing and gardening in front of it. I have so many pictures by now. It's incredible. Um, we drove past uh, a, a hose like a, that was placed on the lawn to water the lawn in front of the destroyed fence. Uh, and you see it everywhere. You hear the uh, construction noises everywhere. Whatever is there to rebuild, they're rebuilding. The business is open. In Bucha, I was able to sit down in a um, nice cafe and have a wonderful fancy tea. I forgot the name, like White Angel Tea, herbal and all that. With yeah. Delicious croissant baked right there. People look beautiful. They Ukrainian people always look after themselves. So you see this beautiful lady in, in a nice outfit in high heels walking by a completely destroyed uh, uh, building. It's a, it's a common sight, and they, they make a point out of it. They don't want to surrender, 
uh, they they want to stand strong. And I, I can tell you more, like I was in Borodyanka. You know, everybody heard about Bucha, but one of the goals for me was to cover the other places because uh, the uh, administration of Bucha are very outspoken and they speak English, they reach out and everybody has heard about them. But there are other places around that people haven't heard about that were uh, almost equally devastated, say Borodyanka, uh, and I have a little video and I will have more, uh, where the lady who collects the memories of people who survived the horror uh, took me around. She took me to the pit, Adrian, where the Ukrainians were held by the Russians and Belarusians and tortured there. It's right there. And I went inside the burned high-rise and spoke to people who lost everything there and lost their families there. And they are there um, running their businesses. Their uh, children or husbands go serve in the army. Uh, and they, their spirit is so strong. It's, it's really remarkable. And were you previously were in Odessa. There have been agreements with Russia, agreements brokered by the United Nations between Ukraine and Russia to get grain out of the country. I mean, this is grain which is not only important to Ukraine economically, but is vital to the world. It helps feed the world. How has that gone? Uh, yeah, uh, good question. Thank you for asking me that. I actually did quite a bit of research uh, and uh, on Euromaidan Press, there's uh, an article with my analysis of that based on my conversations with local farmers and traders and experts on the matter, uh, where I, I it took me a while to break it down. It's not that straightforward. Um, there's a domestic economic situation that uh, makes this whole process a bit more complex uh, because currently the prices for grain um, are not what they used to be and uh, it is not uh, uh, um, oh, how should I put it briefly it doesn't make sense for the farmers in Odessa and Mikolaev region to sell their crops yet because uh, the, what they will get, the income will not cover the costs. So the majority of the farmers are actually waiting for their channels to open and for the prices to go up. And a lot of grain and a lot of crops are being stored. And they actually had the surplus and the access um, of, of uh, grain and crops because the last year uh, was a uh, very good and they were the harvests were quite big but they are not willing yet the majority of them to sell uh, because the the winter is coming the war is ongoing and uh, besides the trader companies the international traders used their force majeure and haven't paid a lot of these farmers. So they are still not paid for the previous year, and the prices are low. Mm. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, they are as business owners and people whose um, 
um, businesses are being devastated actually uh, are not willing to part with what they have and what they have to grow under such harrowing conditions under fire, under explosions so it's a very complicated matter and the local authorities are working on that and I know that the international traders are also not doing it on purpose or to make money but because of their their cost went up so much the insurance is uh, sky high and it's very hard to get and the prices of the fuel went up uh, the diesel for the trucks of course that were delivering the crops and the grain before um, uh, also uh, sky high uh, so you, as you can see it's a chain and uh, it's very hard to break the circle we are hoping that uh, the ships that started to bring the crops and the grain out of Odessa port will help to solve this problem uh, because when, uh, you know, as one of the experts I spoke to uh, said, uh, like what they were doing before, before the agreement on grain was achieved in Istanbul, uh, basically the equivalent of trying to export the Sahara sand with a teaspoon. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. But with the capacity of the large vessels, that problem might be solved. But of course, most people do not rely on the Russians to stand by their word and to follow their agreements. And that's what Zelensky said as well, because as we know, they never do. The day after the agreement was signed, uh, they they bombed us so bad. I think we were talking after that. Uh, I, I think we did. That yeah. was like the, the worst time. Yeah, so it remains to be seen. And meanwhile, Mikolaev is getting a really, really bad hit. Um, I speak to my friends in Mikolaev. And the situation there is really, really drastic. I'm afraid that Mikolaev will be turning into new butcher soon. Mm. Where you are then in Kiev uh, and the, the towns and cities that you visited on the outskirts of Kiev, uh, like Bolojanka. Bolojanka is uh, an hour, you say, from Kiev. Butcher is much closer to Kiev. Are these cities now free? of Russian shelling? Uh, is Kiev itself free of Russian shelling or, or is the onslaught continuing? It's a good question. Um, uh, we do get here a lot of air raids and the day before I arrived to Hostomel, it was shelled and there was a military object that was hit. So we didn't get a lot of details on that. During my stay, we just had uh, many air raids and on the night when night here when Nancy Pelosi's uh, plane was about to land in Taiwan we had the whole country air raid uh, for about two hours uh, with people in different areas of Ukraine seeing missiles flying over their heads uh, fortunately they were shot down uh, by our air defense, but I saw the Forbes report that Russia spent about $100 million on the missiles for just one day that day. Uh, 
And uh, fortunately, uh, Ukrainian air defense is uh, working better and better, so there were no hits. But uh, I'm afraid that nobody is guaranteed uh, uh, to have no more shelling because they're certainly, certainly aiming for that. I watched a very moving BBC television programme recently about Fergal Keane, who's a very well-respected war correspondent in the UK. And Fergal spoke about his experience in Burma going back a number of years now and his post-traumatic stress associated with that. Uh, Obviously, you're doing a great job there, Zarina, reporting on this, letting us know exactly what's happening. Are you worried about the impact on you, on how seeing some of these sites might make you feel in the long run? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for asking me that. Funny enough, several people asked me this question in the last two days. Um, I mean, I, I'm a human and I'm affected. Um, I can tell you and our listeners honestly that since I came to Kiev after seeing Bucha and Bradyanka and Hastonal, I was not able to speak to any person in flesh other than the lady in the grocery store across the street. I'm just sitting in the apartment here and I'm processing everything that I have with breaks to sleep and for Ukrainians lessons. But today it struck me that in fact, I may be slightly manic, and I think this is how I process. I just want to write everything and get all the footage out and uh, let everybody in the world know that it's going. And, and you know, part of it is, of course, you know, me being a journalist and a writer, but another part might be the way I'm dealing with the stress because it's impossible to see that and to to hear the air raid standing in front of the place that is completely destroyed and where the dead bodies were found en masse and not to be in some way altered by it. No, absolutely. And I would recommend, uh, as well as your writing in the Euromaidan press and your reports for Byline Times, that people do follow you at Zarina Zabriskie on Twitter. You post a lot of your videos there and pretty graphic at times, very moving at times, but it's so important as well. And I think it's inevitable, Zarina, that as time moves on, the focus on Ukraine in countries like the UK, thousands of miles away, is likely to just become less intense but it, it's inevitable but it's it's sad and uh, as far as byline radio and the byline times podcast are concerned we're not going to stop covering it we think it's so so important and we mustn't lose sight of this both for the sake of the people of ukraine who are you know, a, a proud nation and just want to speak their own language and have their own country and their own democracy but it's also important for those of us in the west because we know that putin if he was successful in ukraine would not stop there that would not be the end of it ukraine is not his end game yeah absolutely in fact i am afraid that the most of the world is not really seeing the connection enough. Of course, Ukrainians are fighting for themselves, but Ukrainians are also fighting for 
the democracy in the world. Ukrainians are fighting for Europe and for European safety because guess what? After Putin is done, if he is done, which I don't think he will manage, I strongly believe that he won't, but let's say somehow by some evil miracle, he manages. He is not going to stop. He is going to proceed to Poland. He's going to proceed. And they're speaking about it openly, Adrian. And the, also for those who are not in the close proximity to this area, say like Europe, uh, it will affect and there will be ample impact on other continents. Of course, we'll know about the famine uh, in Africa, but there's also what they call Putin's crisis and Putin's, uh, um, what do they call it, like gas price spike in America. The whole world is connected. And another point, we, we have seen this last week a lot. He has unleashed, or he and the Kremlin have unleashed uh, all the dictators, all the, uh, what I will call quite in a literary way, evil forces to start doing what they please. And other di dictatorial regimes are now seeing that it's possible to act against the United Nations, against the uh, what they call collective West or whatever you call it, not necessarily West, but the democratic world. And we see China now speaking about returning uh, territories that were captured by Japan. We see conflicts in, uh, between Azerbaijan and Armenia. We see now Kosovo and Serbian uh, the other week, which almost turned into the World War III. And the list can go on. Every day I see crisis, crisis uh, in some country, uh, and it will continue if he goes unpunished. And this is something that the deputy mayor of Bucha told me, that the main task for the world right now is to find a way to stop and punish uh, the country that broke uh, every convention that broke the uh, unwritten and written uh, conventional norms of humanity. Because if it is not done, that will mean that these crimes, these atrocities uh, are allowed and they will continue. So uh, their economic, political, philosophical, existential needs to keep watching this war and not just watching, but to support this fight in every single way. And this is why I'm here. Absolutely. I think that many people in the UK were shocked when the former Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, although he did criticise Russia's invasion of Ukraine, he said the solution to the problem is to stop arming Ukraine. But if we stop arming Ukraine in the West, that will give Putin the victory he needs and embolden him. And it seems to me that to follow that line of logic is to ignore all of the very graphic lessons of history. Well, uh, there's no surprise there, Adrian, with Jeremy Corbyn, because a few years ago when I was doing research, still based in America, in my home, uh, when I was doing research of the uh, Russia Today, RT and Sputnik, uh, which are the major Kremlin mass media um, outlets uh, funded by the Kremlin, I found an interview with the 
um, managing director of the Russia Today is giving an interview to some Siberian university, and that's why it, it, it was very hidden. That's why it didn't get deleted from the internet. And he says that we basically made Jeremy Corbyn happen uh, we found him and we supported him. Uh, and uh, whether it's completely true or not, of course, as anything that Russians say remains to be seen and checked. But the fact is that uh, they were very friendly to each other. One final thought, Zarina. You talk about the desire in Bucha to get justice for those who were victims of the massacre, for their families, for survivors. Is there any evidence of an international effort to bring people to justice for that massacre or to at least collect the evidence so that perhaps later on those responsible could be brought to justice? Uh, yes, uh, I believe there are multiple committees. I believe uh, that uh, United Nations is involved. There are certainly local uh, local efforts, and I believe they're joined by the international agencies. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of attention to that. And uh, Ukraine is a very digitally um, advanced nation, uh, incredibly so. In fact, when I was in Davos, um, the digital transformation minister delivered uh, quite a groundbreaking speech um, about the major software that runs in the country. There's the first and I believe the only country that has electronic passport and everything is done uh, via internet. And so they have the special a facial recognition app uh, where people can report the suspected uh, Russian um, abuses of power, and uh, it's very sophisticated. Uh, so there's a lot of work, there's a lot of recording of the crimes and uh, the Victims and the eyewitnesses are being uh, interviewed and the cases are being recorded. Um, and that includes the uh, rape cases and all kind of physical abuse. So we hope that those uh, perpetrators will be found and face a uh, tribunal. Absolutely. Really appreciate your time, Zarina. Thank you for joining us. And as I say, you can uh, follow Zarina's Twitter feed, at Zarina Zabrisky. That's a great place to start to watch some of her videos and see the links to some of her articles in Euromaidan News and also for Byline Times. And as I said to you last time, Zarina, just stay safe. It's really important that you report this stuff to us, but it can't be at a cost to you in the long term. Never. It's important that you keep you keep yourself together and keep your keep body and mind together. So just just bear that in mind. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. And I know that we also wanted to cover a few other things that are happening internationally because I'm not uh, just a Ukrainian expert. I, I, I believe I became one now, but before that, I used to cover different things as well, and I'd be happy to do it, but frankly, after visiting Bucha, Borodyanka, and Rostomel, and Erpin, um, I, 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 for now, I, I, I naturally focus just on that, so maybe some other time. No, absolutely. Can, no, listen, yeah. I totally understand that, honestly. That's yeah. not a problem. It's, it's, it's great to hear your first-hand account of what exactly has gone on. 
Before we finish, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast and Byline Radio are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, a brilliant monthly newspaper that can report without fear favour and sometimes has content from the wonderful Zarina Zabriskie amongst others mm. in it. So do get a subscription. Go to bylinetimes.com for more details. That's bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Thank you to Zarina and we'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Thank you, Adrian.